Um, so there's not much that I can say about that. Um, we can all imagine a wheel with a crosswise wheel built into it. Um, we'll ignore the fact that it doesn't actually work according to the laws of physics, but it's a vision. It doesn't have to. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can come this morning into your presence. Lord, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of song that we can sing of your goodness as your people have sung for thousands of years. Songs of your greatness, songs of of your kindness to us, songs of your glory. Lord, you are truly glorious. And so often we can forget that. know it in our heads and forget it with our hearts. Lord, you are not just beautiful. You are not just magnificent. You are glorious beyond our capacity to describe. Father, I, I pray that now as we explore Ezekiel that you would help us to understand Thank you, Lord God, that that even in this complex passage, it's all about you. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the fact that you are the mighty king. That you rule over all the world. Lord, for those who have come to church this morning wondering where the life is worthwhile, For those who have come with pain, physical or emotional, we just pray that right now there would be some relief from that. That the sight of you in our midst as we read through these words that you have spoken through your man Ezekiel, Lord, that that this would, would so fill our visions that all else becomes As a shadow. Lord, for those who have come this morning with great joy in their hearts and excitement, we pray that that, that joy also would, would fade into insignificance at the joy that we know the King of all the earth. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are in our midst. And I pray that now you would use even the words that come from this mouth of mine to speak truth and to show Jesus. Amen. Uh, just a, out of curiosity, who's ever had uh, been in a church where they've preached through Ezekiel? One, two, three. That's not bad. Three out of the whole church. Obviously not this church. <laughs> It's an interesting book, Ezekiel. It's long. It's one of the longer books in the Old Testament. It's downright weird, some of the visions that he has. And to be honest, Ezekiel is not a character you would want your kids to hang around with. Um, He wanders around naked for a few years because God tells him to. 
He burns cow droppings to bake his food at one stage. And even that is a concession from God because God said, no, you're going to burn it on human feces. This guy is a strange, strange man. Spends, I don't know how long, lying on one side. A couple of years, I think. Or long time. And then he spends the same amount of time lying on the other side. He's a weirdo. But he's a wonderful weirdo. Uh, we read there in verse um, 3 that he was the son of a drunk man, Mr. Boozy. But we won't hold that against him either. What an interesting chapter Ezekiel chapter 1 is. It's probably the chapter of Ezekiel. There's two chapters that most people know. They know the wheels within wheels chapter. And they know the chapter of the valley of the dry bones. Which is a fantastic chapter. Brilliant vision. But but there's a whole lot between there. And and hopefully we'll cover some of that uh, in the next month. And then again in the future. How do we approach something like Ezekiel chapter 1? Where do we start when we've got these these images upon image? And and I don't know about you, but as as Alan was reading that, and and as I read it this week, it it seems like like Ezekiel is just stumbling over words, trying to to describe what he sees. And and it's it's like a storm, but no, there's flashing, and oh no, there's lightning, and, and there's these creatures, and there's stuff moving, and they're bronze, and they're, oh, I don't know. It's just, he's stumbling, trying to describe this. And it's confusing for us to read because I think it was confusing for Ezekiel to see. How do you describe something like this? How do you describe, as I think he does, the the chariot of God? How do you describe God himself on his throne? And where do you even begin to talk about creatures that move in any direction without turning and they've got four faces and it's just, what on earth? Now if you go through history, a lot of people have tried to be really clever and said, we're going to draw parallels out of our thumb. So, hmm, let me see. There are four Gospels in our Bible. Hmm. And there are four creatures. Therefore the creatures must be Matthew, Mark, Luke and John genuine teaching of the early church fathers not right (laughs) I don't think maybe what we have to do rather than than get stuck into all of the fine details is to take a step back and try and see something of the big picture what is it that God is showing to Ezekiel and what is it that God is showing to us because if one thing is crystal clear it's that this is awesome even though I hate that word because it's been overused but this is where it should be used this is awesome So, let's just set the context for a little bit. We've got Ezekiel, uh, at this stage, he's probably about 30 years old. Uh, There's some debate about that, but let's go with it. He's 30 years old. 
about the stage when a priest, because Ezekiel is a priest, would normally start his full duties in the temple. Uh, you'd, you'd sort of go into an apprenticeship at age 25, uh, and then you'd be a full-on priest in the temple in Jerusalem at age 30. Unfortunately for old Ezekiel, he's not in Jerusalem. He's one of the exiles that have been taken out, probably with Jehoiachin, whose name I can never pronounce. Jehoiachin, uh, they have such similar names, some of these kings. So Jehoiachin is about 587 B.C., uh, taken out by the Babylonians, by the Chaldeans, uh, into exile, and a puppet king is put in place in Judah. Now, if you think about poor old Ezekiel as he sits here next to the Kibar River, which, which is actually an irrigation canal that they dug, uh, amongst all these other people that have been ripped out of their homeland, there he sits. Now, if you know your history of Judah, you'd know that a couple of kings before Jehoiachin was a boy king named Josiah. And it was during his reign that they found the book of the law. And there were such tremendous reforms in Jerusalem. And things improved and the people turned to God. And, and Ezekiel would have been alive at that stage. He's 30 years old at the moment. He would have seen this growing up in the temple precincts. Seeing this nation which had gone so far from God suddenly turn around and see God's face. It must have been a thrilling time, a, a time of real revival. And then Josiah dies and things go from bad to worse. The Assyrians have already destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They themselves get destroyed by the Babylonians. Babylonians ransack Jerusalem. Three months into Jehoiachin's kingship, he's exiled. And it's been five years. And here is Ezekiel, supposed to be becoming a priest, but instead sitting next to the river, hanging out with the exiles. You know Psalm 137, that by the rivers of Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon. <laughs> Horrible song because it's such a sad psalm. These people were, were just downcast. They felt rejected by God. They felt all alone. The people were tormenting them, says the psalm, saying, sing us a song. And they say, how can we sing a song? Here is Ezekiel. And he sees a vision. Actually, he says, I saw visions of God's glory. I'll just sum up for you what I think chapter 1 is about. It's about God's glory. It's about the state of humanity. And it's about mercy. I think the first thing we learn from this vision as we take our, our step backwards and look at it is that God is not far from his people. It seems obvious today 
doesn't it? God is not far from us. Yes, we can pray God's right here. But for the people in Ezekiel's day, they had this weird, wacky idea, totally out of context with Scripture, but they thought, yes, God is in Jerusalem. There is the temple. There is the place where God's glory settled. There is where we belong. There is where God is to be praised. And here we are in a foreign land under foreign gods, and God is not here with us. And then Ezekiel sees the storm pulling in from the north, from the region, usually where the enemies come from. Uh, Here is this dark storm and and it's just all motion and there's wind and there's sound and, and, and we've got these living creatures and they've got legs moving and they've got wings flapping and they've got wheels turning and, and it's just coming at a great rate of speed and, and it's just flashing and lightning and it's, it's awesome to behold. And, and poor Ezekiel, I'm sure, must have, must have said, what on earth is that? A little bit like Moses when he saw the burning bush. said, I've got to see, what is this all about? And he looks into it and he, he tries to, to spot everything. And, and we've already said he, he tries and struggles to describe it. And, and then he notices at one stage there's wheels moving and there's a wheel for each creature. And, and they've got eyes all around them. And, and wow, what on earth is this? This moving of God. Remember, step back from the details. God is moving. Well, just stop and think about that for a moment. They thought God is stuck in Jerusalem. That's where his glory descended when when the temple was constructed. There he is, but no, here comes God, not from the direction of Jerusalem, from the other direction, from the north. Here comes God, and God says, I go where I want to go. I am not restricted by what you think I should be restricted by. I'm not located in one specific place. I go where I want to go. There's a wonderful line in, in, in the Narnia series, you know, Aslan being the, the symbol for Jesus. And, and at one stage, I think it's Reepy Cheep the Mouse says, he's not a tame lion, you know. <laughs> and I think this is something of the vision that we see here of Ezekiel. Say, God is not a tame God. God goes where God wants to go. And just you try and stop him. Because his kingdom is over all things. He has the right to be wherever he wants to be. Okay, let's go into a little bit of detail. These wheels within wheels. Um, Imagine a wheel. And imagine another wheel going at right angles like that within each other, both being able to turn. I don't know. (laughs) It's a vision. Ezekiel couldn't describe it very well. I certainly can't. What's the point of these wheels within wheels? Four directions. North, south, east, west. Up and down. God's chariot can go any direction. Nothing stops him going any direction. Nothing stops God. Moving. 
And I think we've got that today. But we need to remember it. Last week we were talking about spiritual warfare. There is no place where God cannot be found. There is no place where God cannot go. There is no place where we can go where God cannot be found. God is never distant. But this isn't really a a joyful picture that Ezekiel sees. We don't see him there. I was sitting there by the keybox and now there was this wonderfully beautiful cloud wafting in from the north. And it was so lovely and little sprinklets of rain. No, says Ezekiel, there was this, this dark cloud and this windstorm and lightning and flashing and it was awesome and awe-inspiring and a little bit frightening. <coughs> Excuse me. Where's my water? A little bit frightening, even the... I've got some... Thank you. Even the wheels, he says, I've got these wheels and they're huge and they are terrifying for me to behold. This is not a picture of... Spring mornings. Because actually, it's a picture of God coming to judge. A lot of these images which which is used there, which God has shown to him to reveal himself to Ezekiel, sound weird to us, but, but for Ezekiel they would have made sense. So what have we got? We've got, first of all, this, this storm. Quite often, if we read through the Bible, God comes with the storm clouds. Remember at Mount Sinai, the mountain was covered with darkness and rumblings. And of course, the New Testament says that Jesus will come with the clouds. And just keep in the back of your heads, this is the same sort of coming as that day will be. Psalm 18 speaks about God the warrior coming on the clouds with lightning and fire. The the big picture that we've got is a chariot. These creatures being the the moving moving part of the chariot and, and above them the surface and on top of that the throne on which God sits. Again, it's a typical image of God the warrior coming against people. I've already said the storm's coming from the north. That's the place where the enemies come from. Here God is coming from the north. And what about these creatures that sound weird with their four faces? Ezekiel sees a very similar vision in chapter 10. And and by that stage he's clicked. They're not just living creatures. These are Cherubim. So you know those lovely little Christmas cards that you get for that? Happy smiling angel. Ooh! Somebody ought to fire those card drawers because that's not what cherubim look like. These cherubim are frightening looking things. One book I read said they are grotesque. I don't think they're grotesque, I think they are awe inspiring and a little bit scary. So they've got four faces. On on the front, the face of a man. The highest 
of all of God's creation. To the side, they've got the face of a lion. The highest of all the wild animals. Then they've got the face of an ox. The highest of all the domesticated animals. And the face of an... I don't know how this looks. My brain doesn't get around it. But the face of an eagle is their fourth face. And the eagle being the the most majestic of the birds. So what do we got here? We've got these creatures which... And then they've got the weird legs and... Strange. (laughs) Wings. These things... These cherubim represent just the highest elements of creation. They're created beings and they are awesome to behold. And yet they are not the glory of God. We'll come to that. Um, Does anyone remember another time when we see a cherubim? Maybe the first time a cherubim is mentioned in the Bible. Give you a hint, it's in Genesis. Exactly. The cherubim is there to guard. The cherubim is like the, oh, in a small sort of way, they're like the warriors that stand between the holy God and an unholy world, stopping us from getting there. And if we saw one, I reckon we'd be terrified. Let's step back. God comes in judgment, the Holy One. And where can anyone hide from him? Nowhere. When God judges, people will call on the rocks and the mountains to fall on them. And God was acting in judgment at this stage against the people of Judah, who were still living in Jerusalem, saying, Everything is going to be okay. We'll live our lives however we want to live it, and God will do nothing. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, God arrives to Ezekiel and says, I don't let anyone treat me like that. I'm a jealous God. And God, still today, is a jealous God, and and true, he is he's patient with us as well. But one day he will return on the clouds. And he will judge the living and the dead. And for those of us who know Christ, it's going to be glorious because we'll be caught up in the clouds with him. Isn't it going to be fantastic? But when God comes on the clouds here in Ezekiel, he's coming in judgment. Against the world. Oh, that's brought us down a little bit, hasn't it? But let's take a step backwards again. 
So we've got God coming in judgment, God going wherever he wants to go, but there is one of the images which I think just shines out in what, what Ezekiel sees. He, 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 the, the creatures stop moving and, and he can hear this voice and he, he looks up and he sees above this firmament is the old word for it, this, this surface spread out and there's this throne and, and this person some, seeming like a, like a man on this throne and around him is this thing that looks like a rainbow. And for me, that is the best part of Ezekiel chapter 1. Absolutely the best part of Ezekiel chapter 1. Because the rainbow is God's promise that he will never again wipe out all of humanity, that he will save his own people. In the midst of God coming in judgment, in the midst of God saying, I'm a jealous God, in the midst of God saying, I will not let you defy my name, God says, I have mercy on those to whom I will have mercy. Right back, remember Noah, the the flood and, and everything destroyed, and God put the rainbow in the sky and said, Noah, there's the sign to you. After judgment, there's the sign. If we think John in Revelation, very similar vision to Ezekiel here as he, as he sees the, the throne room of God, he also sees something that looks like a rainbow around the throne of God. And then it goes on and God says, right, now I am coming to judge the living and the dead. So Noah sees the judgment of God, then he sees the promise of mercy. John, from the beautiful post-Jesus, well, not post-Jesus, post-crucifixion point of view, sees the mercy of God, followed by there will be a day. Here in Ezekiel, we see God coming in judgment and mercy right at the same time. Isn't that fantastic? Even when God judges, God is remembering his people. And that just makes me want to smile. Because it's fantastic. And don't you just poor old Ezekiel. This is frightening stuff that he's looking at. He still can't describe it properly. But he's trying. And, and all of a sudden he hears this voice and he looks up. And it's like he shuts up straight away. Okay, I'll give you a slight description. Uh, like bronzes it and a little bit of flame and then just fiery underneath and wow. Click. This is not just a divine carriage that I'm seeing. God himself. One with the appearance like a son of man. I personally believe Jesus, pre-incarnation, appearing there. I hope you all believe that as well. (laughs) And Ezekiel is just blown away. He can describe the cherubim, he can describe the chariots, he can describe the storm and the flames moving in between the creatures and the rocks and the lightning and the but when he sees God on his throne he collapses to the ground 
because I have seen all these things, says Ezekiel. And they are amazing. But now I have seen the glory of the Lord. In the form of a man. What do I do? Calvin in his uh, Institutes of Christian Religion says, and I like this, uh, if in broad daylight we either look down upon the ground or survey whatever meets our view around us, we seem to ourselves endowed with the strongest and keenest of sight. Yet when we look up to the sun and gaze straight at it, that power of sight which was particularly strong on earth is at once blunted and confused by a great brilliance. And we are compelled thus to admit our keenness in looking upon things earthly is sheer dullness when it comes to the sun. And I like it because it, it just matches what happens with Ezekiel. He looks upon the created beings, the living creatures, and he thinks, oh, I can describe this. does it badly, but I can describe this. And he sees the Son of God, and he's just... Shut up now, Ezekiel. I said this is very similar to what John experienced when he was on the island of Patmos. In fact, Isaiah's got a similar vision of God as well. And like Ezekiel, John falls down to the ground at the glory of the Lord. And I think if there's one line which would summarize the book of Ezekiel, it's God saying, know this, I am God. Got it. And Ezekiel has a tough life ahead of him. A really tough life ahead of him. And God says, if you're going to do what I've been calling you to do, then you need to realize who I am. You need to realize how glorious I am. You need to realize how holy I am. So that when you take my message to the people saying, why don't you turn back to God or else he will come against you. You will remember what you have seen here, Ezekiel. You will remember my glorious holiness and how you fell to the ground. And you will be able to say, yes, surely God is just in what he is telling you to say. Surely God is right to come in judgment against us. We need the same thing today. We need to be captivated by the glory of God. In the beginning of, of John's gospel, remember what he says? He's speaking about how the word became flesh and, and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only. By the beginning of John's gospel, he says, let me just break it down for you. Not just abstract, we have seen his glory. John was on the mountain of transfiguration. He saw even more marvelous than what Ezekiel saw because he saw Jesus face to face. And, and, and there John says, I have seen his glory and that's why I want to tell you about this. At the end of the gospel, he says, we have written these things so that you might believe. 
Why have we written it? Because we have seen His glory. And that has meant that I can endure whatever. I will be cast off to the island of Patmos. Because I've seen His glory. Oh Lord, You are wonderful. Even the images which confuse us, Lord, are, they fade into nothingness in view of how glorious you are. I pray that you would keep that sense of how majestic, how holy, how brilliant you are before us all the time. And that it might spur us on to share that vision with others. Lord, because we know that you will one day soon return. And it's going to be great to see you, Lord, in your glory and, and to, see, to see you face to face, Lord. But we ask that, that that vision of your glory would also drive us to tell others. And we fall down. Amen.